when I see the finished product at the very end. So it makes it all worth it. I enjoyed the social events of, of networking, of parties, of you know, opening night this, of socializing that. I always enjoy that kind of stuff personally. It's really, really amazing. Not many people would give you that opportunity. Media is the strongest weapon in the entire planet. It's stronger than the army, it's stronger than the navies, it's stronger than all of those, you know, things. And so everybody, I think, around the world in terms of governments is realizing. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the cultural creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. On today's episode, we're joined by Christian Epps and Damilola Ayorinde, and we talk about their career in the live entertainment and film industries as lighting designers and producer while working in Africa and in the United States. So Christian Epps is a lighting designer who has spanned more than three decades in major motion pictures, broadcast television, commercials, live theatre, dance, music videos and special events. In 2006, he began designing concerts and television in Nigeria and countries in Africa. Christian recently lit Netflix's first original African production, Queen Sono, in Johannesburg, and Netflix's first production in Nigeria. Recent projects include commercials for Nike, featuring LeBron James in Cadillac, featuring Spike Lee, Lovecraft Country on HBO, and Sylvie's Love featuring Tessa Thompson on Amazon. In 2014, he and others founded Lights, Camera, Diaspora, and a Hollywood-based social enterprise non-profit that bridges the gap between the African and African diaspora entertainment production industries. Since 2015, LCD has conducted over 25 technical workshops and masterclasses in eight countries in Africa. And in 2017, he received Africa Diaspora Awards Creative Person of the Year Award. Welcome to the show, Christian. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds good. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. always nice when the bio is like, oh, that's, that's, that's really, really good. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Demilola Ayurinde, a 19-year-old lighting technician from Nigeria who got into the industry as a trainee on Netflix original with Christian Epps. She's been working actively in the lighting department since then. Hi, Demi. How did you get to know Christian and how did you get to working into this industry? Okay, so uh, my course out from school spoke with him. I think that was around March 2020 and asked him if he could send some of his students over to intern under him for a Netflix original. Yeah, so I was able to do the things that I was asked to, and I got to be among the three students that went as interns under the project then. Yeah, so that was when I met him initially. Wonderful. And and what made you decide that you wanted to be in this industry, or did you know about the industry before, or what were you doing before you joined Netflix? Okay, so I, I actually didn't even know much about the movie set when I went on that particular project. But then I, I liked the idea of the light theme different from other ones because I saw it that fine, the camera was important and every other thing. But then there was a lot that the light was doing in portraying whatever it is that the director had in mind or the DP wanted to create his picture. So like I, I saw a much more deeper um, understanding of what the light department was doing on the set. And I just told myself, yeah, I wanted to do this. I liked it. 
So I developed like a strong passion for it on that particular side. And how are you liking it now? <laughs> Amazing. I love it. I think I, was, I won't use like anymore because I actually love it now. <laughs> I enjoy doing it. And what's your sort of day-to-day role on the, on the projects when you, when you are working on them? How does that work on a Netflix show? Because a lot of people in our industry uh, work in theatre and entertainment, but not so much more in the Netflix realm. So tell us what you do on a day-to-day basis. Basically, when I go on the movie set, after the, I listen to orders from the best boy electric. And then I will basically setting up the lights according to what it is that the cafe wants. We're setting up the lights and I'm tweaking. But I'm not really, really into the um, electric part because it's not like, I understand, at least since working there for over a year now, I understand the basic idea of what the electric, um, the um, connections are and how you have to be safe to make sure that you're um, channeling your power right. But then at the same time, we, ho- we usually have, here in Nigeria, we usually have like an electrician who is basically in charge of um, the connections. So what I'm doing most times is setting up the lights. I listen to whatever it is that I want and I set up the lights. And most times the guys I work with give me a free reign on tweaking and flagging and stuff like that. So that's really interesting. And uh, is this something that now um, that you've had this experience with Christian and the team, you you are able to cultivate extra work there over there in Nigeria? Or how does that, is that, I know that we're all going through a pandemic right now. So is, is that, is the show still being made? Are you able to take those skills elsewhere? So what do you do? Are you able to work through the pandemic? Are you still working over there in Nigeria as the same in, in the same role or what are you doing at the moment? So um, after the, the five days or thereabouts we used on the Netflix production, um, Stanley picked up an interest in me. And since then, I've been going on sets with him. That's why I'm still able to like um, continue as a lighting technician here in Nigeria. So Stanley was it was Christian Ed's um, best boy electric on the Netflix original, who is based in Nigeria. So after he left, basically, we started working together. That's great. And so Christian, that you were the person that introduced. How did how did you find Dami? Did Dami come to you through 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 the net? Like, how did you find her and connect with her and get her into the the, the work? While working on the Netflix show, we were scouting locations. We scouted a college. One of the teachers, we knew each other from Facebook. Literally, that was all. We just, And he recognized my face. And he said, oh, you're Christian. And we started talking. And he teaches the classes, the media classes there. So then I don't know if he suggested or I suggested it. But we ended up with three students from him. And the school wanted them to get the experience. So the school provided transport and the project provided food and sundry stuff. And and so that's how it happened. I had no idea, uh, but she was such a um, focused uh, person, uh, pleasant. I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Let's try and uh, let's try and do something with her on that. Uh, and all of them were the other two. The other two young men who came along were also fantastic. They were all eager to learn. Uh, that's one of the things about lights camera diaspora and the work we're doing is that young people like that have a very difficult time finding a Netflix show or a Warner brothers or, you know, these are big international, very high end, very desired projects. And so where do young people get a start? It's very hard to find an end 
especially if you're not in a major market. So it was a perfect example of, of the work we're doing and why it's valuable. I'm just 19 year old, but I actually don't call anybody for financial support. At least I'm able to fend for myself and school by myself and not putting my own pressure on my parents anymore. So like it has actually helped a whole lot for me to be independent. You said you're 19 years old? Yes, I am. There's a lot of 19-year-olds uh, in the rest of the world not not being independent from their parents right now. So <laughs> good for you. That's amazing. <laughs> what do you like most about working in this in this industry, Demi? The one I like most is the fact that whenever I go on some sets, they may be tedious and everything and I'm drained. But the fact that despite all the energy that I could have used, one of the things that gives me joy is despite all the stress that I would have gone through, when I look at the monitor and I see how beautiful it turns out, or when I see the finished product at the very end. So it makes it all worth it. How do you see yourself in the industry moving forward since you like it? And, and what do you want to do next or keep doing more of? Okay, I think I just want to get better in this um, in life department and be a gaffer, basically, because I know being a gaffer is a big deal and you have to be able to like bring everybody together in the lights department. You have to be able to think fast on what to do. What the, when your DP tells you what you want, or the director, or you read the script, you should be able to um, imagine what the set is going to look like, what where your lights are going to be placed. So I think what I'm working towards now is getting that stage where I can say that yeah, I can be called a gaffer basically. And the industry is regular enough and busy enough for you to be working regularly in this job over there? Um, yeah, actually, it is regular. Although the way it is sometimes, there might be some times whereby there aren't so many projects, but then whenever the projects come, it's always back-to-back. Yeah, Nollywood is actually the second largest movie business in the world in terms of quantity. So there's plenty, plenty, plenty of projects. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Bollywood, Nollywood, and then the U.S., in terms of quantity. So there's a ton of projects that happen on a regular basis there. So maybe it's time for Christian to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about himself. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am very glad to be here. Yes, I work in the lighting business as a gaffer, as a lighting designer, director of photography, depending on the projects. I've worked, uh, I think I'm up to 42 years, if you include high school, starting in the film business and theater and television lighting at the time. I live in L.A. This year, I've mostly been in L.A. because of the pandemic, uh, this year and last year. Uh, until then, I've been I've lived in New York, D.C., Atlanta, uh, and traveled around mm, a third of the world, I probably, uh, you know, doing lighting. Uh, each day uh, in some form between prepping, scouting, setting up, shooting, and uh, what we call between gigs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's what I do. I do lighting for film and television these days primarily. You got started in theater, right? And then Mm -hmm. you branched into film. Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah, in high school, I got in theater by accident because I could get out of class early. The last two hours of the day with theater, and I thought, yeah, where do I sign up to get out? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, literally, and, and I still feel like I'm doing that. 
I went to Howard undergraduate for theater lighting, and then I went to NYU for grad school in theater lighting. I thought I was going to be in New York on Broadway doing that kind of stuff. But uh, after working a lot in New York, I realized I still wasn't making much money. So I transitioned to film, uh, started PAing an art department so that I could go meet the lighting people. Uh, and then the next day worked on lighting. And uh, that was a Spike Lee project. Spent uh, the next 10 years uh, doing most of his projects in some form or another. I still did dance in theater through the 90s, bits and pieces. I started doing TV in the early 90s, adding that to the repertoire um, with no real knowledge of what it was. But, you know, some producers said, hey, we need some help. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll chime in and help. And so now it's mostly film and television um, because of the economics. But I still find that I use my theater background a lot in terms of um, color, variety of looks. Um, there's a sort of um, what we theatricality of it. Uh, I do a lot of moving lights and and the live audience. You know, you sit in a theater with 7,000 people and multi-camera music performance or an award show or things like that, um, which is uh, playing on my theater background as well. Do you find that that transition has been easy for you to, to jump from film, from theater to film to TV? Like a lot of people are like, well, yeah, you just go from theater to film, but that's that's not a, that's not something that everybody can jump to. How was that how did you get those jobs in film and, and, and was it because of the work? Is it because of the network that you knew? How did that work? Uh, it's primarily the latter, the network. Um, like most things in the world, uh, well, in film and TV, there's a lot of money. And anywhere there's a lot of money, it's primarily based around networks, right, to get access. Uh, so I got the my first film job because I knew a set designer in theater who also worked in film and asked him if I could go PA in art department working in film in New York at the time that was the early nineties. No, I was 89 technically. Uh, but then through the nineties, it was a very uh, hot period for black artists in music world and music videos. And that became a, a very niche audience and most white cameramen didn't know how to light black people. So I was very much a, a welcome addition to the talent pool in New York behind the scenes. And so now, uh, once you're in, it's all referrals. I happen to be kind of built for that race of um, freelance world. I always thought that uh, my life should be creative. I always thought uh, a little too much when I was young. I always thought very highly of myself. Um, <laughs> so I was very confident in going out and looking for work and meeting people. I enjoyed the social events of, of networking, of parties, of you know opening night this, of socializing that. I always enjoyed that kind of stuff personally anyway. So it was fairly easy to keep working uh, during that time period. And so by the end of the 90s, I had uh, I knew a large number of people in in New York. And there were really only about three groups of black people in the business working uh, behind the scenes uh, at that time. And it mattered greatly because of 
society and uh, structural issues in society uh, that there are black artists who wanted black talent behind the scenes who paid more attention to their lighting uh, and how you psychologically treat them matters first. Uh, you know, anything you're photographing or for that matter, anything you're creating in collaboration with anyone else matters to how you see them. And and camera gets very specific in lighting. And so that contributed a lot to people saying, hey, are there any lighting people who know how to light black people? Hey, are there any black people who know how to light black people in lighting? And, um, you know, and, and digital technology coming along also provided access to many, many, many people who did not have the budgets and the access to do, you know, multi-million dollar films at the time. Um, so that also contributed to a lot of people having more opportunities and the doors opening up, you know. And shout out to Spike Lee, who made a point to make sure that Black people had an opportunity to work on his projects. Um, and even to now, he still does, you know. So somebody has to help you get an opportunity. That that nuance is really interesting for me. So I know it's probably a complex thing, but in a summary, what what are the what are the differences in terms of lighting black people for for video and film that that are different than lighting people of a pale complexion? So the technicalities of it are fairly simple. Um, you you tend to work more with larger, softer sources and reflections, and typically a little warmer color temperature in the lights, right? Um, daylight versus uh, tungsten is a, sim- is a simplified example of cooler light of daylight and warmer uh, tungsten, flame, candle, indoor light bulbs. Um, but somewhere in there are all shades of gray in terms of how warm, how, uh, and it's a matter of taste, but applying that also helps black skin look more attractive on camera, right? Um, Like anybody else, a little bit warmer always looks a little bit more like a nice suntan, um, no matter where, no matter what you look like, right? Uh, So, but, but the main issue is you have to appreciate the subject you're shooting, right? Whether it's a person or a bouquet of flowers. And if you appreciate that person, then you take the time to figure out what is needed to make them look good on camera. And the reality of America is that the social issues around economics and race overlap because camera is very expensive, especially when it was all film. And expensive in America generally historically meant that people with access were predominantly white and and lived and came from and experienced a fairly, fairly narrow margin of society. So many of the cameramen didn't have experience either personally or professionally working with a lot of black people in front of the camera. So if I'm the darker person on camera and everybody else looks like they're from Sweden, then I'm the odd man out. And whatever lighting conditions, whatever differences there are, though they're not conceptually complex or important, if if I'm the odd man out and you treat me that way, then my lighting does not come off as well. Mm. If I'm one one version and someone else next to me is a different version, but we both are appreciated equally, then you figure out a good balance. So really what it comes back to is you just have to love them 
and then you'll figure out how to treat them well. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love them. You gotta love the people you work with. It, it's a simple idea, right? Mm. It's a simple idea. Uh, there's a podcast that I've talked about on this podcast a number of times that's called Ministry of Ideas, and they have one short mm. episode on it's called White Balance, and they talk about the concept of photography of white balance, and it is very shocking. Uh, <laughs> without any more spoilers and getting deep into the weeds, but uh, I need to go listen to that. Yeah, it is. Um, it it is a good one. And then, well, talking about access, and I wanted to ask you about historically black colleges, colleges and universities in the United States, and how how are they providing access? What is art schools? Their art schools look like? I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm very <laughs> curious. I didn't even know there were a thing until I moved really close to one of them. So, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which one are you near? Uh, Winston Salem State University. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, the HBCUs were a response to access to education in America, uh, where Black people had to create our own colleges in order to advance our education. You know, uh, in the past in America, and um, in terms of schools. I, I got to say, I don't have a wide experience with a lot of them in terms of these things, because my particular type of program, the theater program and the film and TV programs are very narrow. And again, they're expensive materials and equipment. So many of this, many of the HBCUs don't have programs and offerings in these areas. Um, Howard has a very well-known one um, and has produced many famous people um, uh, in the past and, and currently. And then uh, FAMU also has a good program, uh, puts out uh, Florida A&M, puts out a lot of people uh, that go on to do well in the business. Morehouse and Spelman in Atlanta, uh, uh, Brother Sister College also uh, have very successful uh, film and television programs as well. I'd say that's kind of what I know. The majority of them run on on grit and steam, not on large campuses and and a lot of, you know, resources like USC or somebody like that, you know, University of Southern California. Those, yeah. But one of the things that is interesting about them is on that psychology thing is uh, like any other family, if you are raised in a society that is not giving you as much equal access or fair treatment, but your home life that you have the home you actually grow up in is supportive and loving, then you can continue to thrive in general. Right. And so that's kind of the theory of how to me, that's kind of the theory of how these HBCUs that I mentioned have been successful, um, not so much in resources, but in, in support and, and, you know, love and affection and, and effort and, and, and proper focus. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. 
Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. How do you come up uh, with the idea of Lights, Camera, Diaspora and, and what is it all about? I had moved to L.A. in 04, in 06, a client said, hey, we're doing shows in Nigeria. Do you want to come? And I said, yeah, because I like traveling and had traveled a lot of places that had never been to Africa. And that client turned out to be doing a bunch of big U.S. acts. It was Beyonce and Usher and Jay-Z and Rihanna and John Legend, Shakira, Mary J. Blige. It was all these people for several years. So by the end of those three years, I knew a number of technicians in Nigeria, and they had been asking for help. Hey, can you help me learn this? Can you help me get this equipment? Can you teach me how to do this? Can you mentor me there? And then while telling stories in the U.S. of my experiences in Nigeria, uh, a lot of people were like, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. What is that? Tell me more about that. Oh, I'd like to participate. And then one day um, I had gone to meet WizKid and Akon, a a dear friend from college knew Akon, and he was recording something. And we went to the studio to talk to him about maybe they want to do something. And I don't know. Uh, but it hit me afterwards that, oh, I know a bunch of people on my left who are asking for help and a bunch of people on my right who are interested in what's happening over there. So I'll start. And uh, with no lack of self-confidence, <laughs> that, that um, I said, oh, I can do that. I didn't know what I was doing. So I just started saying that's what I'm doing. And literally, that is the beginning. And as long as I kept saying it, after about a year or two years, people started believing it. And and then people um, in Nigeria would start requesting because by then digital had expanded. That was 12, 2012, 13, 14. But digital meant that everybody everywhere could see everybody else's work everywhere. So now, no matter where you are, you're watching the biggest, best, and the worst of the worst. And so the producers in Nigeria started wanting to increase the quality of their work. So they look around and say, how can we do that? Um, Let's call some people who have more experience in us. And so it was just that timing of being interested. The client happened to show up. Digital technology meant people had more information to work with and to know that this is a desirable thing. Yeah. And now it's official, yeah. right? You've registered as a nonprofit, and it's a and yes. all that comes with a nonprofit yes. organization, right? Oh my God, yes. We're a five hundred one c three based in California, and we basically run for the majority of the time. It's just been running off of steam, off of off of hot air, off of wishes and dreams. Um, I would do a job and stay extra to do non to do uh, the nonprofit work with LCD. Uh, someone would call me to do something, you know, it was professional, but wasn't any money. I would do it under the banner of LCD so that, you know, it could help just contribute to our momentum. And um, but now in the last two years, we've started getting 
request for speaking, request for online workshops with the pandemic that's been helpful in terms of online stuff. Uh, we've requested, uh, we've been requested to do workshops with YouTube, with uh, uh, producers in Nigeria, uh, with all kinds of people in South Africa. I've just, we've just signed a deal an MOU to do more training with MultiChoice, the largest uh, broadcaster on the continent. Um, it's got enough momentum now where it's generating a little bit of money to help itself run, which is a real pleasant, pleasant, pleasant change <laughs> financially. That's where you want to be, right? Yeah. So that's great. And so basically it started in Nigeria and there's there's now South Africa, but other areas of Africa are... I mean, I'm not sure yes. about the industry across the the large continent That's, that is Africa. So tell us about that. Like, is it yes. permeating those other um, areas? We we are indeed. We started in Nigeria just by momentum of that project I was on, those concerts, but then went to South Africa in 2015 with a dance company under the same idea. We would also do the show professionally. I would do the show professionally, and then LCD would also provide workshops with the college students um, and that was the beginning of South Africa. Uh, Lorna Johnson, uh, who also was a primary help in founding the organization and shaping it, uh, was based in South Africa with a lot of her work. And so she took me there and introduced me to people. Uh, we knew people through online WhatsApp groups, and that became a whole thing in South Africa and still is a major part of our work, along with the fact that the industry hub is Nigeria and South Africa. With the multi-choice thing, we've been in Zambia, Kenya, Ghana separately. I've uh, been in Senegal and Zimbabwe three times. We're up to seven or eight countries now. And um, I think five of them, I dare say, are recurring. Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana. Uh, those are all you know, consistent because the industries are growing and they're all trying to increase the quality of what they're doing. And let me also say, what we're doing now is we're starting to get enough momentum to bring other people. Uh, last two years ago, 2020, we took, uh, well, whatever that was, with the pandemic, you know, yeah. last year means different. Time, is, time um, is fluid right now. We don't know where it is. <laughs> it's fluid. Uh, right before the lockdown, we took yeah. the sound person from, you know, from the U.S. Hollywood circuit. Uh, to do sound. Um, during the pandemic, we've done workshops with high-end producers from HBO, from Ava DuVernay's Array, from uh, CAA, the largest. We've had you know high-quality LA talent with great resumes, um, talking, contributing workshops, doing stuff, interacting with uh, people. Um, we had Ruth Carter, uh, Oscar-winning costume designer with uh, South African and Nigerian costume designers online together sharing and doing so. Those sorts of things uh, are typical of, of the online aspect. And now we're trying to turn that into online classes in a more structured manner. I mean, that's just wonderful. I, you know, taking the skills from an established market to an emerging market that is looking for those skills. I mean, the, I mean, it's such a commendable mission that you are, uh, undertaking even mm -hmm. if it's just been an evolving process for you personally but um yes. you know from that po person of just talking about it as a th this is a thing i will help make this happen to being a non-profit and right. everything i mean it's just it is really truly inspiring christian i really commend you for that 
Uh, thank you. And if you think about it, it's the case with anybody. If you meet me and I tell you I'm a shoemaker, you believe me. Now I have to do my part to continue, <laughs> to you know, <laughs> I have to make the shoe. But, you know, it is definitely a lesson about just jump in and and declare it and, and start doing the work. Mm. And it'll, uh, as they say, build it and they will come. It's cliche, but true, you know. And when you talk about the, say, the young professionals and the people that are on the other side of that, um, starting their careers like Dami, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I guess this, you've you've probably met a lot of people like that that are ready to to jump on board and, and build a career out of it. And do you foresee that um, that work will grow and grow in that area of the world? Yeah, you know, the media, I've, I've come to believe of late, um, I'm probably late to the party, but I've just come to really realize media is the strongest weapon in the entire planet. It's stronger than the Army. It's stronger than the navies, It's stronger than all of those, you know, things. And so everybody, I think, around the world in terms of governments is realizing it. You'll notice now when there are social uprisings in countries, many governments look to shut off the Internet because they know that information is the, is the driving force, for good or bad, of whatever is going on. And film and television have taken over in a really real way where young people are growing up basically orientated around screens and what's happening with this content, right? Whether it's organized storytelling or podcasts, you know, uh, like this is, it is what people are doing. And there is, there is a lot to be said for packaging your image, right? Whether you're an individual or a country or an industry within a particular society. So I don't expect it to go away. Um, It's only getting more and more sophisticated and digital is making it more and more accessible. So now we have young people like Dami who have grown up on images and at 19, they are far more sophisticated visually um, than most people ever, you know, my age ever were. And, uh, And they only, if it's not in an image, if it's not in some kind of media packaging, they don't pay attention. You know, it's sad, but true. Most young people don't read books anymore. So we have to decide how to manage that reality. Uh, Do we fight it or do we work partly with it? Um, I think we need books and print and stuff like that. But the visual image is definitely the king. And governments know it. They're investing now more and more. Small countries are now developing, to, you know, tourism packages in hopes of bringing economic industry, you know, uh, uh, economic development to their um, countries. And yeah, everybody knows now that um, it's also a great, great, great way to manage your image and your society. It's a given. It's a default now in most young people's lives. So there's only more and more opportunities to grow this thing. And, you know, somebody like Dami, you look at um, uh, her opportunities to financially take care of herself at the same time. It, uh, I, I got to say, when she talks about that, I get a little watery eyed, a little teary eyed about it, because that is really, really what you want to contribute to society for people to be able to take care of themselves and enjoy themselves and express themselves, you know. And if we can do it by saying, hey, I've got a 
internship opportunity, come on over. And it literally is, that's all it takes, an opportunity for someone to see a little light somewhere off in the distance. I mean, that's what most people do want in, in their lives is a job that they're happy with and be able to provide for themselves and their family. I mean, it's, you know, amongst all of the other drama of politics and social media or whatever, people are very simple of like wanting to have those okay. basic basic things provided for. And and, and if, if this industry provides that, what an amazing thing. And absolutely, that independence is is a fantastic thing to be able to say at 19, Dami, what a, what a great opportunity to do something that's really interesting and take care of yourself. Yeah, thank you. I'm this man. Great. That's good. <laughs> um, Dami, while you're still there, is there anything that you'd want to comment on what Christian said in terms of, um, you know, the landscape in, in Nigeria or beyond of the industry over there and anything else you'd want to comment on? Okay, so um, initially, when I went on that first project with him, one of the things I noticed about him was he wasn't too busy at every point to answer your questions. Like, initially, I, I was, when I got there at first, I wasn't so um, free on knowing how to just approach him and ask questions. But after taking notes of him, I'll tell you what, I noticed that whatever it is that you're not clear about on set, he's actually very, very calm to explain to you till you understand it. And it's really, really amazing. Not many people would give you that opportunity. That's great. A good teacher. Yeah, it is. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the um, the that part comes from, like anybody else, you know, you're new young and how the environment you're shaped in and wanting to share that. And and it speaks to, you know, it's uh, again, it's a little cliche, but, you know, my mother was creative and painted and fashioned and sewed and designed and re- art of furniture, interior, all kinds of things, right? Um, so those things, you know, came over to me. And then uh, the desire to be a, a helper was sort of a message we were given in our house. And so it seems obvious to me, but it, but doing this work in particular, the Lights, Camera, Diaspora work, is, is it, it became most, so much more clear to me that that wasn't a default for everybody. And part of it is about the feeling of having enough. You know, I'm a firm believer that people share when they feel uncomfortable with what they have. You know, when you're emotionally or financially uncomfortable, you you know, human nature is we tend to hoard. Um, and so, uh, you know, doing the work, both prov- doing lights, camera, diaspora work, both provides an opportunity to create work possibilities for young people in particular, but for people in general of any age. Uh, and then that provides an opportunity for them to feel comfortable sharing. Right? Mm. So the same thing happens in your household. If you're raised with a feeling of abundance, whether it's a lot of money or not, a lot of love and the proper attention, then you don't mind sharing when you grow up. And and so it, it, it really does become very basic, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> help people, they help other people, and we're all happy and have more, you know. Yeah. It's nice. That's fine. That's really amazing. Nice. So to finish up, we'll ask you both the same question, I think, and maybe we'll do start with Dami in terms of 
what's your favourite thing about the job? And then secondly, what would be one thing that if you could change about the job that you would change? Okay, so my most um, favourite thing about doing Lighten is that, okay, so like I said initially, I got into the industry not even knowing what it was. I didn't understand the department and all that. I just watch movies and say I like how it is or I like the story or I like how it looks. But when I got into the industry and I saw like so much work that was put into just a particular scene looking good, it made me really, really uh, amazed. Yeah. So whenever I look at how much time we used to set up for some scenes, just for that one scene to look good, it makes me appreciate the media more. Mm. So that's one of the things. I love that I'm being a part of such amazing things, not just watching or seeing it, but I'm being a part of the creation of such beautiful things. Yeah, so that's what I love most about it. Then your second question. Okay, so if, I, if I'm to change anything in the industry in Nigeria, uh, so most times not all director of photography give their gaffer a free reign to um, show their creativity. And if, if you look at it well in the industry here sometimes, uh, they don't give, each department don't give like, they don't allow a free reign for you to do your job as probably um, a gaffer or a light technician. The DP might want to say, okay, this is what I want, or even tell you the lights that he wants you to use. But I feel like the DP should just tell you, okay, this is what I want, this is the image I'm looking at. And then the gaffer should be the one to determine that, okay, I would use this light and that light, do this and that, to create what it is that you want. So, yeah, most times it's not always like that. Yeah, so I think I would like to change that, giving the gaffers um, a free reign to be creative in the ideal lighting. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's a very I hope good that answered your question. No, I think it's a very, very good specific uh, uh, thing. I, I really enjoy that. Okay. <laughs> Christian, what about you? The thing I like most is I have an, a lifestyle that has developed into a paying gig, right? Like in in my mind, my lifestyle was, I grew up partly in the Caribbean in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, right? And that was carnival and the beach and relaxation and, and beautiful weather all the, all year long. And in my mind, life was supposed to always feel that good, right? And I've developed a lifestyle that kind of does, you know, the, the I've moved to LA because it was warm. I was going to move back to New York or back to L, go to LA. And I was like, Oh, LA is warm. So I'll go to LA. <laughs> um, so that's covered. Um, I travel all the time. So I see many different parts of the world on any day of the week. I'm trying to figure out, Oh, that should feel like this. Oh, that should look like that. Oh, that, that. you know, yes. Now there's invoicing. Now there's insurance. Now there's stuff, but the, basic foundation of what I do does just feel like fun. And, and that is a real privilege. Uh, if I could change anything, uh, if I could change anything, it would be, I would get rid of the human nature to uh, hoard, protect, be political. That is the thing I still struggle the most with. I'm, I'm not very, um, I'm not I'm not the best at managing myself when clients are those types of clients that are extremely political and you know whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um 
uh, I tried to avoid it, actually. Uh, I tried to avoid corporate work for many, many, for two decades, because that environment was very political um, first. But, you know, anywhere there's a lot of money, there's a lot of politics. And um, so I've slowly grown into a sort of comfort level in dealing with it, even though I don't enjoy it, but I would get rid of that if I could. Um, And we'd all just be like, yeah, that's cool. No, I don't like it, but I love you. You know, <laughs> you know the world would be one and all of that. <laughs> I hear keep a song it. coming on. Totally <laughs> keep it simple. I was feeling that too. There needs to be a song. You know, <laughs> you know, it is, it is. John Lennon did it. I think, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. All you need is um, love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Look, so, this has been a really pleasurable conversation. I appreciate you and Demi joining us today. And I just want to sort of before we sign off, if the audience is listening and they want to know more about the website and you, you both, I mean, how would they know about you? How would they find you? How would they uh, know about Lights, Camera, Diaspora and, and the work that's happening? We are, our website is, as it sounds, lightscameradiaspora.org.org. And um, everything is on there. There's a email that uh, form that comes right to my phone, and then uh, Facebook, uh, both Christian Epps and Lights Camera Diaspora. Instagram is both Christian Epps and uh, Instagram Lights Camera Diaspora. So that's all pretty simple. Uh, we're not really active as, as, on social media as much as I like because money structure nonprofit life, you know, Time. building that up. <laughs> you know <laughs> okay. how that goes? Yeah. Right, 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 right. But we're there and we then we get the messages and we see it and we try to post and keep up. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Dami, mm-hmm. if people wanted to find you, is there is there an avenue for them to see you online? Yes, um my high account is Damilola Ayorinde. Amazing. We'll put those links I think in in the podcast so people can connect to it, right, Anna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing with us. And this has been very interesting. I can totally relate to the Caribbean lifestyle and wanting more of that. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, right. Life should be enjoyable. Right? Um, oh, my goodness. I love that. I love it. Thank you so much, Christian and Dami, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There is a link in our podcast description where you can send us your requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcast episodes for free. If you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast notes. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlive.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Live podcast.